Hello, everybody. This is Q of the MJ Cast, and this is episode eighty-seven. Happy sixtieth birthday, Michael Jackson's Diamond Anniversary, everyone. We have got a fun, positive chat to celebrate Michael and the impact of his fandom today. I'm going to be joined by our wonderful web assistant Elise, and I've got Jamin co-hosting, and we've got a special guest today. We have got Sean from New York, who is going to tell us all about his time when he was working for the Magic World of Michael Jackson fan club in the late '80s and '90s. Welcome to episode 87 of the MJ Cast. Happy 60th, Michael Jackson. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans for MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love you. <laughs> I love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Hello, everyone. Elise, how are you? You're calling in from Studio San Diego, I believe. I am. It is very lovely and very warm here in Studio San Diego. And I'm enjoying my day and looking forward to this celebration of our favorite King of Pop. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you about your day in a minute, actually. You've had some exciting few things happen in the last couple of hours. I have. (laughs) We'll Um, talk about that shortly. Hello, Jamin in Studio Brisbane. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing well, Q. How are you? Very well. Thank you so much. Now, this wasn't the plan today. This has come together in all of about 25 minutes, so well done. We, we yeah. did have – we had a, a, a special guest lined up. I wasn't actually meant to be on the show. I'm calling in from Studio Melbourne in a hotel just before I have to go to work. Um, but, yeah, this is – you want to tell everyone this is be a little slightly different format of an episode. Yeah, we had a uh, special interview uh, arranged to record this morning um, with one of Michael's key collaborators. We were really looking forward to it. Been up since the early hours prepping questions. But unfortunately, that something must have happened because the person um, didn't arrive to the interview. Um, it does happen every once in a while to us, doesn't it, Q? Um, <laughs> it does, it does. We'll hopefully lock that interview in for the future. But for now, we've got a... Um, something else planned, a great chat with Sean. And, and I just want to say thanks, Sean, for for being uh, willing to be here because you got a whole five minutes notice. <laughs> <laughs> great to talk with everybody. I'm not sure if I can answer the same questions you had prepared for your previous guest, but um, <laughs> fire away. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come up, we'll make it easy. We'll come up with all new questions for you. Thank you. Well, Michael's 60th. I got to ask you, Q, I don't understand what it means. The, what is it? Why is it called diamond? What does that mean? I've only ever heard that for anniversaries. So I don't know where it came from for birthdays. Maybe it is a thing for birthdays. I'm not sure. But generally for anniversaries, if you give gifts, especially on big milestone ones, there'll be a certain theme of a gift you're meant to give, like if it's paper or wood or uh, silver or gold, yeah, something like that. So I guess they've taken it from that. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. It's it's cool. It sounds good. Sounds good. So first up, Elise, just really quickly, what have you just been doing lately? Like other than today, you've rushed from um, an event where you were doing some, it was a charity for dogs. Yeah, I was wrangling rescue dogs. Uh, In my other life, besides my day job, I work with rescue dogs for a really wonderful organization in San Diego. Actually, we're going to be featured on a National Geographic show coming up. Uh, next month, which is exciting. So wow. that's fun. But no, my um, big news is... Hang on, uh, hang on. What, what's the name of the organization? Let's get that uh, name out there. It's called The Barking Lot. That's cute. <laughs> that's that's and, awesome. <laughs> plug a website, uh, plug some social media if you'd like. I think this is I've, a great I've, cause. Definitely. Well, we actually rescue a lot of dogs all the way from Thailand out of the illegal dog meat trade and fly them all the way to the US and find them homes here. That's wow, cool. that is yeah. so awesome. All right, yeah. plug away and then tell us your uh, other exciting adventures. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's enough about the parking lot. But yeah, my other exciting news is that uh, I just recently got to see the Jacksons in concert. It was my first time seeing the Jacksons live, um, although I did have the pleasure of seeing Tito with BB King's blues band a few couple months ago and um it was wonderful it was fantastic i was so happy and just really great great energy they were such good performers i'm so excited for you guys getting to see them in january and a good overall evening um and my my extra special thing was that there were several family members in the audience i didn't get to see everybody but i did get to see Catherine jackson which was for me really exciting i mean she just embodies so much of what that family means and is so special and there was so much love for her in the room that it was so wonderful to see her i totally broke into tears and was a complete sap about it. Uh, and so it was great. And they, during the concert, they did a beautiful, beautiful tribute to, uh, tributes to both Joe and to Michael. Yeah, they did. You are not alone for Joe's video tribute and gone too soon for Michael's. And they were very touching, um, had great family photos. It was a really special evening overall. So I'm feeling like my life is complete. I can go die now. And <laughs> you haven't don't seen do that yet. We need you to do the show notes. <laughs> if I die, I can't do show notes. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I will. I will live just for you, Jamin, to do show Thank notes. You. <laughs> and Janet, and, and you've got to go see Janet and I at need some to see point. Janet. Then I'll die. No, don't die because you're amazing. There's dogs that need your help. Indeed, indeed. It was it was fantastic though. So yeah, if you can catch them on any upcoming tour wherever you are, um, and if you have not seen them yet in your life, really take the time to get out and see them. They're they're still just really wonderful, and there's just such a great energy to their performance. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so glad you had the opportunity. And I, I think that's so beautiful that Catherine was there. I saw a photo that Rebe was there somewhere. She was backstage at some point with the brothers. But um, yeah. yeah, I would have been a, a emotional sap like yourself. And I would have <laughs> shed some tears of joy and happiness and gratitude as well. So thank you. That's so cool. We're going to have to get you kitted up with an MJ cast uniform so you can be an ambassador <laughs> to all these wonderful things like a t-shirt. You had a great idea for a lanyard, Jamin. I love that idea. We need a lanyard. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Maybe I'm a, big, I'm big, a big foam hat with our logo coming out of it or something. <laughs> <laughs> One of those waving foam hands at like the baseball but games. But a sparkly glove version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is spiraling well out of control. Oh, wow. But <laughs> Sean's like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I know, right? No, Sean, Sean's a, been a listener of the show. He sent us a wonderful email and we just appreciate all of our listeners so much and the feedback we get from them. Thank you all so much out there. But thank you for reaching out to us, Sean. You're calling in from Studio New York. Welcome to the show. Thank you for reaching out to us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks very much, everybody, for having me. Uh, first of all, again, I'm from New York, born and raised in New York. I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We have five beautiful children. We've been married for 27 years. Of course, my high school sweetheart is a big Michael Jackson fan. That was part of it. <laughs> How lucky are you? That's yes. pretty good. <laughs> I can go back to days of being in high school and dancing like Michael on stage for lip sync contests, uh, dancing like Michael at the uh, junior and senior prom. So um, it's funny. It's just, uh, it's, uh, I'm a child of the 80s. My wife is a child of the 80s. So again, um, it's always been a big part of what you know who we are. Right now, I uh, again, I work for a marketing company, a very successful marketing company. I'm a very, 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 very devout Catholic. Um, I'm involved in a lot of different church ministries, uh, prison ministry, youth ministry, Bible study, and um, you know, throughout my life, I've just always been a uh, a Michael fan. But I've also uh, my family's always kind of kidded me that I've been. Uh, kind of obsessive. And what I mean by that is I've always grabbed onto things. You know, when I was a little kid, I was a big Batman fan and a big Fonz fan. Um, I've always been a big New York Yankee fan, you know, grabbed onto, you know, different things in my life like Popeye and those type of things. So uh, when Michael came along, um, it was just a, uh, you know, it, the timing was perfect because uh I kind of took a lot of my obsessive compulsive <laughs> behavior and uh, really latched on to a lot of uh, Michael stuff. And again, going back to the 80s uh, brings back a lot of memories, not just of my youth and my teenage years, but, uh, you know, even before that. I can so identify with that. I, you know, really was a little bit obsessive about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and <laughs> Batman and Batman when that 80s uh, 1989 film came out I think it was the the first Tim Burton one that was I was so into that and Jurassic Park and you know around that time as well Michael Jackson just like hell yes diving in head first I was that target audience that you know teenage <laughs> boy you know he was the superhero that we'd always wanted Absolutely, absolutely. Dangerous era, right, Q? Dangerous era, mate. It was it was awesome. That was a great era. Elise, do you want to just remind <laughs> everyone where you sort of came into the fandom? Like you were a moonwalker kid, weren't you? Absolutely was. I grew up in Southern California in the early 80s, going to Disneyland all the time. And my gateway into MJ was uh, through Captain EO. So yeah, I was very much about the bad album and was right in it, right in the middle of, you know, all that, that era. Um, but I was a kid, of course, so I experienced it in a bit of a different way. 
<laughs> Great. Yeah, my uh, my obsession goes back to uh, even before the Off the Wall album. So, um, yeah, a lot of great memories. Yeah, yeah. Well, that you were, as we were talking before the show, Sean, you were you were mentioning around how a lot of us, um, well, including Q and myself, you know, becoming fans from the '90s onwards. You know, it was really in the '80s where Michael was at, you know, his peak, uh, his peak fame, I guess, in US domestically. Talk to us a little bit about what it was like in what, what did it feel like in in the '80s being a Michael Jackson fan as he was releasing Thriller and Bad and We Are the World and all of that. Well, you know, it really was a special time, and I don't mean to even overstate everybody. I'm going back to like 1983, 1984, and whether they admit it now or not, everybody was a Michael Jackson fan. Uh, if you go back to 1983, everybody you knew, it didn't matter what walk of life they came from, everybody had the Thriller album. Everybody loved Michael. It was just a part of... You know, of course, I'm talking from American culture, but, you know, I learned a lot, you know, a lot later it was just part of world culture. This was before any controversies. This was before any quote unquote scandals. This was before any kind of tabloid stuff. If you go back to 1983, he was just the top. Everybody was a fan. You don't sell, you know, 50 million albums without everybody being a fan. Young, old, black, white, uh, didn't matter what walk of life that you came from everybody used to uh get together and watch the thriller video which they used to show on mtv like maybe four or five times a day it was an event when the motown 25 special came out it was an event when the victory tour started it was an event uh when the uh you know back in 1984 when the american music awards and the grammy awards Everybody was watching this. You know, of course, remember before, this is back before satellite TV. This is back before cable TV. You know, remember we had like 12 channels back then. And so you watched whatever was on. And it was just, he was on the lips of everybody back then. And it was just a really cool time um, because everybody was a Michael Jackson fan. And it didn't matter what walk of life you came from. There really was no backlash about anything. I mean, maybe some people said, oh, you know, he's got a high voice, whatever. But there really was nothing that anybody could say against him back in 1983, 84. So as far as being a Michael fan, it was really the height. You know, since then, different things happened there. You know, I still think that the height of his creativity was the bad tour. But nothing beats, you know, 1983, 84. It was just, it was a part of American culture that you had the Thriller album, period. If you didn't have the Thriller album, you were just, you know, not with it. There comes a time when we heed a certain call When the world must come together as one There are people dying it's time to lend a hand to life, the greatest gift of all. We can't go on, pretending day by day, that someone, somewhere will soon make a change. We are all a part of God's great big family. And the truth 
Hi, I'm Vincent Patterson. Please come and join us on the MJ cast. We'd love to have you with us. Wow, that really sets the scene. What an incredible time. And yeah, I mean, I guess it was more of an innocent time, wasn't it? And more of a a really exciting time because there wasn't all of that stuff happening through the media like there was in the 90s. But wow, geez, that's something I haven't, you know, didn't get to experience at all, Um, (laughs) only being born in uh, 1986. I do have some faint memories in the early 90s of, of... the dangerous era and and the history era, but boy, would it, it would just would have been amazing to be around in the in the 80s enjoying Michael in that way. And of course, you went on to then start uh, a fan club. How did it start? Like, how did you transition from being a fan into thinking I actually want to start a club? Well, again, it goes back to my obsessive compulsive nature, and of course, very emotionally involved. Um, 1983, 84 were very big years for me. I mean, like everybody back then, I have to say. T- tell you, Jamin, um, everybody back then thought they were an impersonator. Um, You know, I was, uh, you know, thought I could dance like him and I really couldn't. But, you know, everybody back then was into Michael. Um, It really was a pure time because, um, again, it's hard to believe. And I know you guys are younger than me. um, The idea that everybody loved Michael Jackson back in 1983, 84, it just wasn't a question. I mean, just you were a Michael Jackson fan, period. And if you weren't a Michael Jackson fan, you were looked down upon. A couple of years went by and, you know, people got into different things, this and that. And then 1987 rolled around and the uh, Bad Album started to be promoted. Again, just having so many memories of 83, 84, I would just... couldn't have been more excited for the Bad Album to come out. And even to this day, it was the greatest experience, you know, as far as music goes, to listen to that Bad Album for the first time. I mean, I purchased it on August 29th, 1987. It was his birthday. You know, walked in, grabbed it, grabbed the CD, listened to all those songs for the first time. That night, they premiered the Bad Video. I think it was on CBS. So, I mean... Things, again, were progressing. You know, everything was coming up Michael. And um, again, because I just had such an emotional attachment to everything, I got into it big time. So it was at that point, I guess in 87, that I really started to get into collecting. Um, so I started collecting magazines and uh, vinyl, uh, which was popular back then, uh, picture discs, any type of thing that was related to him. And then if you go into 1988, this is where, uh, you know, in 1987, he was doing the bad tour, but it was kind of like a uh, victory tour part two. You know, he was kind of doing a lot of the same stuff on victory other than singing the song bad. He came home in January or February of 1988 and he revamped the entire tour where now he was going to bring in all of the, you know, the bad songs. Smooth Criminal, Dirty Diana, Just Can't Stop Loving You, you know, songs like that. And in the meantime, you know, his videos were coming out and I was collecting, you know, word came out that he was going to be performing at Madison Square Garden on March 4th, 5th and 6th. So, of course, I, uh, my aunt, my lovely aunt left me off uh, (laughs) on the streets of New York City one night uh, and I waited online uh, for about 20 hours uh, with about 50,000 other uh, fans on the streets of New York in February Got my first tickets to the Bad Tour, uh, saw the Bad Tour four times. And then after that, I said, look, you know, I am just going to like, you know, this is awesome. This is great. 
So back in around 1989. Okay, um, okay, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm Sean, sorry. but I, I need to I need to interrupt here because I, <laughs> I want to. What we need to do is you've just told us you've seen the holy grail of of Michael Jackson shows, bad at Madison Square Garden. We need to explore this. So, okay, these are the bad. We all know the bad tour probably the best Michael Jackson um, live shows ever done, right? Second leg of the bad tour, probably the best leg of the best tour. And then the Madison Square Garden shows are probably the best shows of the best leg of the best tour of the best entertainer. And you were there. And these were like, these were indoor shows. So they were a lot more controlled in terms of weather and lighting and, and oh my God, this... Okay, I've also heard, because I've seen a lot of um, amateur footage of these shows on YouTube, I guess like home video camera things were just starting to become a thing at that time. And um, interestingly, at the start of the second leg of the Bad Tour, Michael was starting to to lip sync a little bit. He was lip syncing some of his songs. But Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that um, the shows you saw, Smooth Criminal and The Way You Make Me Feel, were being performed live. Yeah, if I go back to that date, and again, March 5th, 1988 is a very, um, it's a special date in the world of being a Michael Jackson fan. Um, Bear in mind that he had already performed a few concerts at Kansas City, just as kind of a warm up, just like he did on the Victory Tour. And then I think it was March 3rd or 4th um, was the uh, Grammy Awards at uh, Radio City. So, of course, you know, we all know the famous Radio City uh, performance, uh, Way You Make Me Feel, and then uh, Man in the Mirror. Well, again, I'm coming from a Michael Jackson background. I was there in 1984 for the American Music Awards. I was there in 1984 for the Grammy Awards where he won everything. I mean, just any time his name came up on the screen, he was going to be walking up on stage getting uh, an award. Deservedly so. so. Deservedly so. Absolutely. Well, in 88, he was nominated, I think, for eight awards, and he didn't win any. Um, U2 kind of cleaned up um, at that award ceremony. That's and right. you can kind of see Michael in the audience, and I just, I mean, as a Michael Jackson fan, my heart just broke. I was like, wait a minute, he's supposed to be winning all these awards. I went to see him two days later, and like you said, Jamin, um, I, think, I think it was like about eight or nine years ago, Madison Square Garden had a... Uh, some type of a vote as to like, you know, the top moments in its history. And you're, you're talking about Madison Square Garden, which is one of the top venues in the world. And they voted the March 4th, 5th, and 6th Michael Jackson Bad Concerts as the greatest live event ever in the history of Madison Square Garden. And wow. so what happened oh, was... Goosebumps everywhere right now, just saying. <laughs> so now I go to March 5th, 1988. I've never seen him before. Um, I mean, just looking at his name on the ticket was quite exciting. And then when he comes out and you see him for the first time, well, not only are you excited because you're seeing him for the first time, but he had, I don't know if it was a vengeance or just he was determined to make sure that these next three concerts, well, actually it was two concerts because he had performed one before the Grammys for charity. So it was actually March 5th and 6th. It was Saturday and Sunday. And March 5th, he came out just with a look in his eyes. And, you know, I know they came out with the 1988 Wembley Arena recording uh, on video. They really should have come out with the Madison Square Garden because, I mean, he just... 
He looked different. He sounded different. He had a look in his eye. I've never seen so many spins in my life. I've never heard him sound better in my life. And it was almost like, you know what? Okay, I got shot out at the Grammys. I'm going to show you that I'm still the best. And so it was just just a absolutely drop-dead performance. I went to go see him three more times. I couldn't get enough. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. I tell you, if there could ever be anything ever released, Sony in a state, I hope you're listening right now, I want Madison Square Garden bad tour on home video. That would be the holy yeah. grail for me. <laughs> and, you, and you asked about lip sync. I mean, maybe... The first part of Smooth Criminal was a little bit lip synced. I mean, I don't, I didn't know it then. I mean, I kind of go back now. Um, it's kind of a hard song to perform when you're doing the dance mm -hmm. moves. The way you make me feel was live. I mean, that was probably the best song that he did all night. Amazing. And everything else was just absolutely 100% live. I mean, he sounded perfect. He looked better than he'd ever looked in his entire life. And the place just went crazy. I mean, um, it was just, it, it was amazing. Even to this day, I look back and I think of, you know, uh, want to be starting something when that light first comes on and you see him for the first time. It was just amazing. Now, it's funny. Now, again, my wife, who was then my girlfriend, uh, we went two weeks later to Hartford Civic Center in Connecticut. And I think we paid 150 bucks for like scalp tickets, right? So we get into the arena and we're on the side of the stage. So now if you're familiar with the bad concert, as I know you are, you know, a um, kind of a light board comes up with kind of an animation of him, you know, walking and moonwalking and spinning. So that comes up and we're like maybe 14 rows from the stage, stage left. And all of a sudden, everybody starts, you know, his band starts coming up on stage. And it's not like he's leading the group. They all come up together. And all of a sudden, he comes into view. And now you realize, wait a minute, I'm like 50 feet away from him. And you see him getting ready. You see them, him getting everybody into position, you know, because that light board is about to come down. You know, the first beats of one of these starting something are going to start. And uh, that was almost as thrilling as seeing him at Madison Square Garden. I just, wow. I'm trying, like, I'm in the moment. That was just so awesome. Oh man, oh, wow. <laughs> they are just such memories that, you know, that's like got to be a turning point in your life, those, those moments. And you just recollect them so clearly. It's so amazing. I have a question. Wasn't it at these shows like uh, Madison Square shows, I think, um, where Tatiana kissed MJ yes. on stage? Um, Did you remember like that? Did you notice that at the time? Well, again, I went to the March 5th, 1988 show, which was a Saturday night. Tatiana came out on March 6th, which was a Sunday night. I didn't know about it. Remember, guys, this is before internet. This is before all this. I didn't know that until I think Write On Magazine, <laughs> which is a magazine. Yeah. I don't even know if it's published anymore, but like maybe a month later came out with a picture of her kissing him on stage. Um, I was like, oh, that's really cool. But again, I wasn't there for that night. The night that I was there, uh, Steve Stevens, who played on Dirty Diana, he came yeah. out and played um, Dirty Diana during that oh, show. God, and of course, before oh my the God. show started, you know, <laughs> it was like a who's who because, you know, the spotlight kept coming down on like LL Cool J and all these people like walking through the audience, uh, 
you know, so you, you just knew that you were there for an event. And wow. then again, said when he came out, it was, um, you know, uh, like I said, I, I, I've listened to a lot of bootleg quote unquote, uh, CDs since then. I've watched the Wembley tour. Just, I've never heard him sound like that. And I've never seen him look like that. He just had a look in his eye, like I'm going to conquer the world. And actually, you know, for collectors out there, if you go back to 1988, there was a Rolling Stone uh, magazine, which came out, I think maybe two months later, it had on the front, it was like kind of a, uh, Actually, I can't remember who was on the front, but it was a review of the concert. And again, even the review of the concert was like, wait a minute, you you could tell. I mean, as great as he was, he came out with a purpose in mind for that weekend. And again, it was really even though he had performed in Kansas City a couple of times, maybe a week before, this was the official start of the bad tour. I mean, this is where he said, okay, I'm about to take over everything. And from there, it just, uh, you know, grew. Despite coming up empty at the Grammys, Michael Jackson had the audience rocking in the aisles. And he was up to the task again last night at a hot benefit concert in New York. <laughs> Jackson's electrifying appearance at the Grammy Awards made an already excited crowd at Madison Square Garden even more so. He's terrific. He's the best song I like about Michael when he rocked that ABC, so that was high. Nah, the man in the mirror is better. Nah, oh, like, like that ABC. ABC. Nah, the man in the mirror. First of three sold-out nights at the Garden benefited the United Negro College Fund, and clearly one of the many highlights was an encore of Grammy Night's mesmerizing Man in the Mirror. Ah, he puts on a show, doesn't he? Jackson will perform two more sold-out concerts in New York this weekend and pull up stakes for a move to St. Louis, where he's opening next Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Great. How many times do you think they did that? <laughs> That's all for now. Join Mary Hart and me on Monday. We'll take you behind the scenes with Tom Selleck for the final episode of Magnum P.I. And we're going to leave you for the weekend with more of the bad man himself. Michael Jackson sings Just Another Part of Me. See you later. Have a great weekend.
Hey, this is really, really Brad Sundberg, studio engineer and technical director for Michael Jackson and host of In the Studio with MJ. You're listening to the MJ cast. Um, So how many times in total did you see Michael Jackson live? In concert, I saw him four times. I saw him two more times towards the end of the bad tour. And then between then and 1991, I had started a fan club with some friends of mine where at the time, to be perfectly honest, Michael's office, MJJ Communications, I think they were making a concerted effort to really uh, connect with the fans. They were really trying to communicate with the fans. At some point, I think it kind of got too much to where they had to kind of step back a little bit. Uh, in 1991, um, there's the famous uh, MTV 10 performance where he performs Black or White and then Will You Be There? I was in the front row for that. And that was, again, a, a two-day. They filmed that over the course of two days. And, of course, when I say they filmed it over the course of two days, he probably did about 40 takes, which means he just kept coming out and coming out and coming out and coming out and maybe maybe doing 10 minutes of this per you know, song and then two minutes of that song and three minutes of this song. I mean, it got to a point where like at some point, I think the first night, like a lot of people had just left and I'm telling my friends, I'm like, look, he's going to come out again. He's going to come out again. And maybe there was like 50 people left (laughs) and sure enough, he comes out again and there I am in the front row. I mean, I, I couldn't have been more close to him at that point. And, um, you know, again, it was just that if you look at that video montage, it's kind of a, a you know a conglomeration of two days worth of work. But again, that's as close as I could have been to him. And um, in the audience that first night was like Weird Al Yankovic and uh, Little Richard and, you know, people like that. Paulie Shore, who was a big MTV person at the time. Uh, Woody Harrelson, who's a big movie star now. Um, so you looked around, it was kind of like a who's who of people who were in the audience. Vince Patterson was the director at that time. So he came out and kind of coached the audience on like, you know, what was going to happen next. And, you know, hey, if you take out a camera and take a picture, it's going to mess up the whole shot. And of course, people took out a camera and took a picture and messed up the whole shot. So but it, it was just it, it was pretty cool. So that was in uh, November of 1991. Wow. And can you tell us a little bit more about the black or white performance? Was Slash there? Yeah, he was there. Typical Michael, he made sure that it was, you know, a grand entrance. So we were all gathered. I mean, in that audience, I don't know, maybe there was 500 people. Um, It was in an airport hangar, Santa Monica. And uh, we all met at the beach uh, maybe two hours earlier. And then a bunch of buses came and bussed us in. Um, we had to have a special pass to get in, um, which is kind of how we're, you know, more talking about the, the fan club at the time because we had a lot of connections at the time. Got in there, got as close as we could possibly get. And then, um, you know, if you remember that video, you know, there's a car on the stage and everything was black and all of a sudden smoke started coming out. And the next thing you know, you see the silhouette of Michael standing on top of the car and the place goes crazy. And he comes out for the first time and he performs, you know, the entire black or white song slashes there and, um, you know, does it from start to finish. And then for the rest of the night, it was kind of like, okay, now we're going to refilm, you know, the first three minutes. And now we're going to refilm the part where Slash throws his guitar through the front of the car. Now we're going to refilm the part where, you know, Michael's on the side. So it was pretty cool to see how 
you know, actually a video was filmed, but he came out just ready to go each time. And he didn't care whether it was 500 people left in the audience or, you know, 50 people left in the audience. He just kept doing the same thing. It was great. You know, again, it was great just seeing him that close and being able to, uh, you know, be part of this kind of invitation only special uh, event. Um, and of course, we couldn't wait for it to be released. And I think it came out like maybe oh, around Thanksgiving time that year, 1991. Sean, could you sort of tell at the time that, you know, obviously you'd seen him in a live concert and this is a very different sort of setup. And even the actual performance uh, of that night was a very different sort of style of performance that Michael had done before. Like the choreography had a lot of uh, meaning behind it and they were two very different tracks. You know, we'd be there black or white that was making this sort of tribute, the MTV tribute. Mm -hmm. Could you sort of tell seeing it unfold in front of you literally that it was that special and a unique of a performance that would really stand the test of time and still be one of his best. Well, definitely. And just a little note to that. Um, it was two nights earlier that the black or white, you know, the official black or white video where he turns into a Panther had just debuted two nights earlier. So, the night that it debuts, um, his office calls me and a couple of other people who ran the fan club saying, hey, you may be getting some calls from the press tonight just to prepare you. And again, we didn't realize. Now, it's funny. This is 2018. This is 1991. That was a very controversial video at the time for a number of different reasons, of course, because he kept grabbing his crotch and he you know, was throwing stuff through the window and everything else. Luckily, nobody called us that night, but it was literally the next day that we flew out to uh, California. We went up to his office again. We had been there a couple of times. Uh, Bob Jones, who was his publicist at the time, said, hey, I'll see you over there. And um, so at that point, the Dangerous album had not been released yet. Black or White was the only song that we knew. So Will You Be There was a brand new song. that We heard it for the first time at that performance. Wow. And again, wow. The, the first night was pretty fluid. Again, Vince Patterson came out, uh, <laughs> Paulie Shore. If you remember that name, this was kind of like a goofy early 1990s, uh, MTV video VJ when they were still yeah. playing, um, uh, videos back then. Yeah. We he remember out, Paulie Shore. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of prepped the audience and the first night was pretty fluid. You know, he came out, he looked great. He was dancing. Um, there was some pyrotechnics, the second night was a little bit different. If you remember that video, there was a, a very beautiful girl who came. She was in the form of an angel. And she comes at the end of the video where she comes at the very last you know, couple of bars and she pushes her arms around them. Well, that was like the most technical part of the video. They probably filmed that like eight or nine times um, because they wanted to get it right. Remember, again, he's, you know, on the second night performing Will You Be There? We had never heard that song before. The Dangerous album had not been released yet. It was going to be released, I think, in like two weeks. People in the audience were like, oh, we heard a couple of songs. They were leaked. And, you know, there's a song in the closet. Oh, it's really cool. You know, you got to hear it. And, you know, so there was a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement for the new album coming out to begin with. And then when we heard this song, we're like, oh, man, this is going to be a killer album. And then, um, you know, he probably 
filmed that scene, you know, again, like maybe 15 times that night. And Vince Patterson kept saying, okay, now in this shot, the angel's going to come down and she's going to wrap her arms around him, but he's going to look up. And in this shot, she's going to come out, but she's not going to have wings. She's just going to come, you know, so it, it was pretty cool to see, you know, how that type of a video was set up. And again, he was like a robot. I mean, every time they did a new take, he was boom, yo, on cue, everything perfect. <laughs> There's actually one part, you know, again, I was a little bit brash back then. I was like yelling his name. If you look at the video, he makes a peace sign um, at the beginning of the Will You Be There uh, song. He's actually making that at me because I'm like right in the front audience. Oh, and I'm like, ah! like, oh my God. I'm like, oh my wow. God. <laughs> and actually my my friends and coworkers oh. get a kick. Um, if you look at the, between the you know the black or white video and the will you be there video, there's this real goofy guy with a black fedora like shaking his black fedora in the air. That's actually me. Oh um, man, and, this is mean, the it, best. If if you blink, you'll miss me. But it was really really cool that night. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. We're just all um, sitting here googly eyed. By the way. <laughs> Uh, I have Sean. Okay, so in the, when this is going on and, and they're doing all this filming and Vincent Patterson's interacting with the audience, and were there any things that happened of note in terms of like Michael and Vincent's interactions on stage, or was Michael interacting with the audience at all, or was it all sort of planned and Michael knew what he was doing when he was that when he came out, or was it all being done in the moment? Well, it was funny. First, Paulie Shore comes out and he goes, hey, I just saw Michael in the back. And I have to tell you, he like glows when you're talking. <laughs> Everybody started laughing. He goes, I'm, I'm talking to Michael in the back. And he's like, he, he's like glowing. He's like, you know, like nobody I've ever met before. The only time I can remember that he did something kind of like, uh, well, there was two times. One where he's standing in the middle of the stage. And gosh, I wish I could remember the name of the beautiful girl who comes down with the wings. I think um, um, Vincent spoke about her. She was a model, and I think he spoke about her in our special episode. So we'll, we'll yeah. try and find it, or someone hit us up and we'll, we'll yeah, remind he, people he of the name. name. He mentioned her name. She was a beautiful girl. Bear in mind, too, that he had also just directed part. Well, I don't know if he directed, but there was the part of the black or white video where there's Macaulay Culkin, and they're on the stairs there. So there was one part where she comes down and she puts her arms around him. If you look at the, you know, the shot, he's got this very pensive mood. But at one point, he just breaks up laughing, um, which we all thought was great. And then there was another time uh, with Will You Be There where there was just a bunch of kids, you know, um, on the stage. And after the shot, he's there talking to the kids, talking to the director, talking to the kids. And I can't remember what song they played. I think it was... Uh, that song, uh, everybody dance now. Bom, bom, bom. I love and, that song. And, and he actually starts dancing um, on the stage. There was also oh, another weird. There was also another weird part before the night even starts. And you guys probably know better than me. But he had a. Um, I guess it was just for like lighting and you know getting the camera angle right. But he had an impersonator come out and totally dressed like him standing in the center of the stage and they're like taking photos and taking shots. We're like, who is this guy? And it was just, you know, some type of an impersonator where I guess they had him standing at the front of the stage just to kind of set up the shot. Um, but then of course he goes off stage and then, you know, the real Michael comes out, you know, next. 
Sean, can you also just tell us a little bit about what it was like to be hearing these tracks, these tracks that are so, you know, epic and so well known now with totally fresh ears? What were your impressions and what was the vibe like as, you know, especially considering that this, this, these were following um, the Bad album? Sure. Well, again, just to get back, just to kind of set the mood, this is two days after the Black or White video airs. And on the one side, it was huge. On the other side, it was all over the news about, oh, my gosh, he's grabbing his crotch on camera. It was on the front page of, like, newspapers. It was a big deal. Actually, when we went to his office the next day, his secretary said, you know, did you get any calls last night? And we're like, no, we didn't get any calls. She's like, well, you know, Michael Jackson is all about people talking. And let me tell you, people are talking. So when we went you know, that night to see him for the first time, you know, again, even the black or white song was maybe only like a week old. So it was really cool to see that. And of course he gets on top of the car and he grabs his crotch and I'm like, okay, I guess he's not like, you know, <laughs> I guess he's not worrying about the controversy. Uh, Will you be there was really cool. Cause again, we, you know, it's been uh, since 1987, since we had heard anything new and to hear, first of all, Black or White, which is really great, but then to hear this brand new song, which, you know, it's a great song. And, you know, as Michael fans, we were kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for, you know, four years to hear something new. So just to hear his voice and something new was really cool. And then again, you know, just, you know, he had a whole dance routine as part of it. He had all kinds of choreography as part of it. We were watching, listening to the song, but also watching what he was doing as part of it. And again, he looked great. It was obviously lip synced at that time. I, st I just still remember <laughs> that one point on the first night where Black or White was being filmed. And I mean, again, it's on like take number 16, 17, you know, where they had like retaken it and retaken it every angle. I can't even imagine when it's like filming you know, uh, an actual video. And at that point, you know, a lot of people had left. People were kind of mingling around. I just was up at the front saying to my friends, I'm like, he's going to come out again. He is going to come out again. Sure enough, he comes out again for like maybe five minutes to film like maybe just a small snippet of the song. But again, I'm like right there. I mean, they've got the fans blowing on them and everything else. So it, it was it was really cool. Wow. I think we're all just in awe, Sean, of your stories. <laughs> Pretty much, definitely. For gangs, clubs, and nations Causing grief in human relations It's a turf war on a global scale I'd rather hear both sides of the tale See, it's not about races Just places, faces Where your blood comes from is where your space is I've seen the bright get duller I'm not gonna spend my life being a color
clubs and nations, causing grief in human relations. It's a turf war on a global scale. I'd rather hear both sides of the tale. See, it's not about races, just places, faces. Where your blood comes from is where your space is. I've seen the bright get duller. I'm not gonna spend my life being a color. Do you agree with me when I saw you kicking dirt in my This is Mike Smallcomb, author of Making Michael, Inside the Career of Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ cast. What made this time special, now I'm talking 1983 through like 1992, there were no scandals. There, were, I mean, at that point, the worst thing that anybody could say about him is that he had his nose done, right? That was the worst thing that you had to defend against. But everything else was just... You know, it was the height of Michael. I mean, the uh, the Thriller album was the number one selling album of all time. The Bad Tour was like the number one tour of all time. You couldn't go wrong being a Michael fan. I mean, maybe by the time 1988 came, not everybody was into him as 1983. But it was a very, I guess, innocent time, pure time. Um, it was fun to be a fan at that point. Everything he did was noteworthy and cool. Um, it was around that time, too, that... You know, they dedicated the Gardner Street Elementary School, uh, you know, gymnasium to him. It was around that time that uh, he came out with the L.A. Gear line of sneakers. Um, it was around that time that the, you know, Michael Raisin commercials were on. It was around that time that the Simpsons had him, um, you know, as a character. It was around the time that the Oprah inf- interview came out. So it was just a really fun time. There was nothing to worry about. You know, you could kind of, you know, just have fun with it. You know, at the same time, we had a lot of fun, you know, uh, my colleagues, my friends and I running the fan club, because we had pretty close contact with MJJ Productions at that point. And so at that point, we could, you know, if we wanted anything signed, we could get it signed. A couple of friends of mine, believe it or not, I went out to California a couple of times, just to, uh, you know, visit the office, visit Bob Jones, visit other people there. It was a you know awesome office. I got into Michael's office. I have a, I I drew a picture of his office because they wouldn't let you take pictures. But in his office, there were you know Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and pictures of Shirley Temple and the Little Rascals and all kinds of Disney stuff. Maybe a month later, 
they, um, you know, asked us to come out again. And I was like, you know what, I just can't, you know, I just got married. I have a baby coming. And so a couple of my friends who ran the fan, fan club went out and, uh, lo and behold, went into the, uh, studio with him, uh, when he was uh, recording dangerous, met him, met, uh, Bruce Udian, got all kinds of autographs. So of course I was quite jealous. I'm like, why couldn't they have invited us like maybe a month earlier when I was out there? But, <laughs> you um, would have been kicking yourself after that. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of knew when they called me, I was like, uh, you have some like big news for me, right? And they're like, uh, yeah. I was like, did you meet him? Oh, yeah, we met him. Where did you meet him? Oh, we met him in the studio. <laughs> so it, it, it was just a fun time. We had a lot of fun time uh, interacting with fans from around the world, Japan, Germany, France. Um, and it was just kind of fun. You know, remember, this is still pre-internet. So everything is happening via mail. Everything's happening via phone call. We kept in touch with each other via, you know, written word, you know, mailing envelopes. And uh, if we could afford it, you know, making phone calls. So um, very innocent time uh, to be a, a, a Michael fan, but also a very exciting time. So, Sean, I have to ask, and I'll backtrack just a moment to say that a little bit of my fan story is that I really didn't have very many in-person fan friends for a, a big period of time in my life. So, and the, the way I came back into it was with, of course, the internet and actually listening to the MJ cast and really realizing there was this community out there I could reconnect with. So how did you guys find each other without the resources we have now. I mean, I would love to know just like a few of the logistics of how that really worked. Oh, great question. That's one of my favorite stories. Um, so now I'm going back to 1989. The bad tour has just ended. I'm at the height of my, you know, Michael Jackson mania. And so there was a, I don't know if it's still around. There was a record collectors. Cause I had really started getting into the collecting at that time. I was, you know, going to record shows and I was getting all kinds of imports and, posters and magazines and vinyl and all kinds of like little things like uh i mean just everything stamps and figurines and everything having to do with michael so i put together a pretty good collection at the time and in the states there was this magazine that you could get at barnes and noble called goldmine and so i started like buying goldmine magazine just again just to track down michael stuff well, sure enough, there was an ad in the back. Uh, the woman's name was Lori Byler, and she lived in Denver, Colorado. Very nice girl. She had started a you know fan club, and she was looking to get together, like put together a, um, I guess, some type of a Michael event. So this is 1989, and I said, oh, cool, I'm all over that. So. You know, what did I do? 1989, I wrote her a letter. So she writes me a letter back saying, oh, we would love to have you. Actually, we're having an event this July 1989. And people from Michael's office are actually going to be here. And I said, well, yeah, I'm going to be there. So I went out there and it was awesome. I mean, just to I mean, it was it, it was in a woman's backyard. But I mean, still. You know, I had never experienced something like this. And there were tables of like Michael merchandise and everything else. And I had met up with fans from at this time all over the United States, Nebraska and Indiana and California and Ohio and places like that. It was kind of neat because I didn't really fit the mold. Um, there was, quite frankly, there was a lot of females. Um, I was a, you know, 22 year old 
a white guy from New York, and um, but still a big fan, big collector. And so I had made a lot of friends. And sure enough, the day of what they called Michael Fest 89, two people from his office show up. One, uh, Lee Salters. He was the publicist for Michael at the time. And another woman, um, you probably recognize this name. Her name is Norma Stakos. Um, she showed up. It was just great. I mean, I for whatever, you know, regardless of whatever happened since then, um, Norma Stakos was just a very, j- just a very nice, pleasant person. Um, had all kinds of Michael stories for us. Um, she was his executive assistant at the time. They had lost her luggage the night before. <laughs> so, um But anyways, it was just a really, really nice time. And so I had kind of, you know, befriended Norma and then also maybe five or six other people. Um, At the time, Lori Byler had a fan club. I think it was called the Michael Jackson Observer Fan Club. And it was more of like a fancy type of a fan club. And myself and some of the other people who I met for the first time wanted more of like a kind of like what you guys do more of an objective informational fan club so we started our own fan club in 1989 called the uh, magic world of michael jackson Um, we figured it was room for you know multiple fan clubs so we started that and then again we had made pretty good contact with his office at the time uh, particularly norma and also uh bob jones who was his um I guess his public relations person at the time. That's really how it started. And then we just started this network of fans where I don't know what it's like today, guys, but back then collecting, collecting, collecting was very big. So we were just big into kind of pen pals, writing letters to each other saying, Hey, I have this. Do you have this? Can I trade you this for that? I've got this uh, 1983 uh, thriller picture disc. Um, I understand you have the uh, smooth criminal puppet cooler. Would you accept a trade? <laughs> that type of thing. And these are the type of thing. These these were the conversations that we had back then. It was very much about collecting. It was very much about, um, you know, again, just trading stories. And, um, you know, we just all just saying to- I'd want the picture disc and not the puppet cooler. But I'm just putting <laughs> it out there. <laughs> oh, we had there, there was some crazy stuff back then. I mean, there was. Uh, you know, if I have one, I have a million copies of, you know, the famous, uh, what's it, the yellow sweater vest uh, pose, you know, for human nature. They were putting that on everything back then. I know back in 1989, they had just come out with the Liberian girl uh, 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 picture disc with him, like his arm on the uh, fireplace there. And uh, that was a big driver back then. It was just all about, you know, it was about collecting Remember, at the end of the bad tour, he said he's never going to tour again. So we figured, okay, well, he's never going to tour again. So let's just kind of keep in touch. Let's uh, continue collecting. Let's continue getting together. And it kind of grew from that. And just just so much fun. You know, the memories of like tracking down that that uh, that book that you wanted to get or tracking down that uh, limited edition, you know, CD that everybody was looking for. Oh, I traded this for that. You know, it was just a lot of fun back then. 
Wow, very, very, very cool. I've, I've got a question for you about um, your favorite stuff. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've probably still got some great Michael memorabilia now. In, in your collection, what is the number one thing that you treasure? Well, the number one thing that I treasure is um, when I graduated from college, I graduated with an art degree, and I still kind of fancy myself as an artist. Um, so back then, Believe it or not, again, those folks who I was running the fan club with came up with an idea, oh, we're going to do a book on Michael. And it actually got some interest from his office to where, um, you know, we went out to uh, Los Angeles a couple of times and met with his people about doing a book. And, of course, they wanted illustrations, so I started doing illustrations. So I have two illustrations that I've done that he's signed. Um, One of them which was really the killer one. I had done a one. If you remember the, you know, the last concert he did in January of 1989 in Los Angeles, where it's the end of the concert, it's the end of man in the mirror. He's got his arms out. I did a drawing of that. Well, anyways, I send it to Norma, you know, who was still his executive assistant at the time. And then she calls back saying, Oh, he loved it so much that he actually had me get it framed and it's hanging in his office. So I said, well, that's really cool. So I sent another copy that he signed. So I probably have, I don't know, five autographs of Michael to me that are probably the most treasured things. Our first newsletter that we put out, um, it was called, and I have it right here in front of me. It's called Reflections, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. The front cover has a picture of, and this is summer of 1990. Um, It has a picture on the front of Michael playing a video game. This is when the Moonwalker video game first came out. And um, I have that signed to me too, Sean. You know, all my love, Michael Jackson. And of course, back then he was doing the uh, 1998 thing (laughs) at the bottom of all of his signatures. So those are the most treasured things. Um, I've got some other things, you know, some figures, um, some things. uh, When I tell you that 1983 was still just the greatest time I have some things from 1983 still. Um, Believe it or not, I guess it was like maybe like 2007. I actually, you know, caught to a point because I had this pretty big collection. And I was like, all right, well, here's the thing. I have all this collection. If my house burns down tomorrow, it's all gone. At the time, his stock was low. You know, I was like, well, I can't sell this stuff on eBay. And my kids had kind of a fleeting interest. And I was like, all right, well, what am I going to do with all this stuff? So I actually through tracking down, you know, now the internet is up and I tracked down, there was kind of a Michael gathering in Manhattan that summer where I was able to go and say, Hey, look, you know, people, uh, I want true fans to have this stuff. And so I had, you know, I was able to sell a lot of stuff to people who had, you know, a great interest in Michael at the same time too, just as far as my own, um, religion and Christianity, I wanted to teach my kids, look, you know, don't, don't have any false gods. There's only one true God. You, know, you can have interests, you can have fun, you can have hobbies, but don't you know make anybody other than God the center of your life. So I wanted to kind of teach them a lesson too of, look, I'm not going to have like my walls plastered with you know these images anymore. So I was able to, thankfully, a lot of great fans. Um, I was able to give a lot of this stuff to a lot of great fans. But of course, I kept the stuff that I had a real emotional attachment to, um, and I still have them. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I, I would like to know, just as a bit of context for, for the kind of fan club that you ran, what were the main services that it offered fans who joined it? Newsletter, obviously? Or? 
Yeah, well, if you remember, here's the thing. You go back to like 1988, 89, and, and I'm sure you guys can appreciate this. There was, an, there was a quote-unquote official fan club, right? And by official mean it wasn't any good. Um, you know, you would like pay whatever money it was, and maybe twice a year you would get something in the mail. What was the name of that club? I'm oh, trying to remember gee, which one I was a I member go, of. I got to go back. This is 1987-88. Oh, goodness. I, I can't think. But, you know, you so pay I whatever. Was, yeah, I, I remember sending a check, and there was always some confusion about what sort of check I had to send because it was overseas <laughs> international, and, you know, checks oh, was, weren't free. And my, yeah, the yeah. club I was a member of, I think, was Michael Jackson – maybe international fan club mj ifc i think that's it i think you're right and, uh, yeah had that really cool logo of like someone with a mark a big thick marker pen or a paintbrush sort of painting the the shape on an angle of the letters that spelled out <laughs> michael and then it had their name across the center of it and we got like a i think i only had like two or three newsletters that they ever sent i did get a very nice membership card though it was like a proper plastic membership card that was pretty cool yeah it, it basically wasn't any good you know yeah, um, yeah. yeah i'm sure he's i'm sure that his people hired somebody to run this and in the course of the year you might get two newsletters and even the newsletters you got were like you know the news was like 7 months old so that was kind of the cool thing of when we started our fan club is just we had pretty much up to date type of things. Um, you know, I'm sitting here right now. I have a fax from his office in 1992. They faxed me all the dates for the dangerous uh, tour, um, you know, including the rehearsals. So it, it, it was pretty cool stuff back then. But again, we wanted to we knew that, you know, I mean, face it, we're all fans. The fans knew, look, if you're going to be part of something official, it's just going to be the basic run-of-the-mill stuff. They wanted to kind of get more of the inside scoop and up-to-date. So as up-to-date as we could be in 1989, 1990, 1991, before the Internet came – we were putting out newsletters, um, you know, talking about, you know, what he had coming up, um, you know, what his tour dates were. You know, he just uh, became part of the Boy Scouts, uh, you know, endorsed the Boy Scouts. He had uh, back then he had um, uh, if you look back at those old commercials like the Michael Raisin commercials. There was an artist named Will Vinton back then who had produced part of the Moonwalker video, like the uh, Smooth Criminal, you know, where Michael's dancing with uh, different characters. And so we had kind of, you know, we just had different connections back then that were a lot of fun. And again, even if we were like maybe a month late, you know, it, this is pre-internet, you know, it, it was still fresh to people's minds. And again, at our height, I mean, we probably had a couple of hundred people across the country who were part of the fan club. And then um, and then Lori Byler's fan club, um, that was called the Michael Jackson, uh, I can't remember, Observer Fan Club. So it was the Michael Jackson Observer Fan Club. If you look in the liner notes of the Blood on the Dance Floor album, her fan club actually was, quote unquote, the official fan club. I don't know how long it lasted. Um, cause I think it was a pretty big task to undertake cause all of a sudden you go from like a few hundred fans across the country, across the world to like thousands and thousands and thousands. And at the same time too, there was the off the wall magazine, um, by a fellow named Adrian Grant, who you may know, 
great magazine. Um, so we were kind of, you know, in touch with that as well. So again, just a lot of things going on like late eighties, early nineties, uh, in the world of the fans that was, uh, exciting. And at the same time, uh, just, you know, we had a lot of fun with it. Sean, I've got to ask around this time, obviously what happened happened. So 1993 happened, the Chandler scenario. How did that affect you guys personally as fans and also the fan club and the community for yourselves? Mm. Well, that's a good question. Personally, it really, really um, hurt us. And what I mean by that is, and I'm trying to put this like the best way I can, a lot of the fun was taken out of it. Like a lot of the mystique was taken out of it. You have to remember that like back in the late 80s, early 90s, anybody who was a fan or at least as big a fan as we were, like we were all expecting to get a call to come out and visit Neverland. We all, you know, at the time were defending him. Oh, yeah, he's got a nose job, but, you know, look what he's doing for kids. And, oh, yeah, you know, okay, maybe he sleeps in a hyperbaric chamber, but, you know, look at what he's doing. And for better or for worse, and again, to this day, I don't believe any of those allegations. And I think over the years, it's been kind of proven that they were false allegations. It still kind of took some of the the bloom off the rose. Um, it just wasn't, um, it wasn't as fun. Um, and I don't know how to put that. We weren't any less fans, but, you know, a lot of the mystique kind of got taken away to where you were like, and, you know, to be honest with you, you know, cause I mean, you know, maybe a few months earlier, you were like waiting for that call to Neverland and maybe, you know, a few months later now you're like, well, maybe I don't want to go out there. Not because of, you know, him, but again, it just, a, a lot of the fun was taken away. You know, you went from defending him and those jobs and hyperbaric chambers to now having to defend him on like a totally different level. And again, even though we all believe that it was just a con job and a shakedown, and even to this day we believe it, you know, it just it, it, it took out a lot of the mystique. As far as the fan club, though, it really didn't change anything. I mean, fans are fans. I mean, it just continued to be fans. I mean, we continued to um, have the club, and um, things were still going good. And it gave us an opportunity to, again, since we were in the States, kind of give up-to-date information in our newsletters. What happened, though, with our club is in 1995, you may know this from MJ history. Um, well, this is after he's, he's married to Lisa Marie Presley. He's come out with the uh, history album. And um, he was scheduled to perform a one-night-only HBO performance at the Beacon Theater in New York. So, of course, we got 100 tickets front row. Uh, for this performance on the ticket it even says by walking in the door with this ticket you consent to be filmed you know by hbo so we couldn't be more excited and so we had fans flying in from germany and japan and france and all over the place and the night before again if you look at mj history the night before he apparently collapses and you know cancels the concert and, you know, we were just devastated. And what was even worse is then like a week later, we see him, you know, at an amusement park in France with a bunch of kids who were like, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? And also that weekend, Lisa Marie Presley files for divorce. So there was just a lot of you know, turmoil going on there. 
And at the same time, we were running out of money because it just took a lot of money for us to run the fan club, to do the printing. The uh, the internet was just starting to take off. So at that point, we said, hey, let's just kind of take a step back. We were a little bit angry at the whole HBO thing. You know, I don't know if it was justified anger, but we just were kind of upset that the whole thing happened. You know, we kind of had this idea in our head, look, is he really sick or he just didn't want to do these concerts? But in the meantime, um, you know, we had fans flying in from all over the world and this and that. And we just kind of said, look, we, we just need to kind of take a break from this from now. There's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of things happening technologically. You know, obviously, we'll still be friends. We'll still be fans. But at that point, we kind of just said, hey, look, let's let's take a break from the fan club for a while. And then, of course, at that point, things just took off with the Internet. You know, I mean, now you've got all kinds of fan clubs and you've got photo sites and video sites and MJ tunes and all kinds of things. So I think in hindsight, we really served the purpose between the years of 1988 and 1995. We kind of, you know, were the, in a lot of ways, we were the U.S. contingent of fans that were really communicating with fans across the world. We had a direct line to his office, um, a direct line to his people. And, um, but yeah, to, to kind of like sidestep, you know, the stuff that happened with the Chandler situation and everything, it did kind of put a sour note on things. And we still remained fans and everybody else remained fans, but it just, um, it, it took away a lot of the, I guess, the mystique, if you will. And, you know, it, it's probably not fair that that happened, but that's the diabolical nature of what, you know, came down. Sean, I think that was all just really well put. And it's just so amazing that you were there doing this stuff during this just golden age. Thinking about that and then looking at the dawn of the Internet, how do you perceive the community and the clubs now? Are you involved in them? Do you avoid them? Um, you know, what's your take on the whole thing? Well, I mean, I subscribe to MJ Tunes, which I think is pretty cool. And then I found you guys, I think, maybe a year and a half ago. And the reason why I really like the MJ cast is because, again, you're fans, but at the same time, you're objective. You know, you're willing to say, hey, look, you know, I don't know if I really like this song, but I like this other song. And, you know, I'm not really happy that Michael did this, but, man, there's no taking away from this. And that was kind of the... I guess kind of like the paradox that we found ourselves in back in 1995, just to give you a quick story. So again, we, we were kind of upset that the whole Beacon Theater thing happened. And in our back of our minds, and even to this day, I mean, I think there's some stuff have come out saying that like he really wasn't sick, that he was just kind of finding a way to get out of the concerts, whatever. I don't care at this point. What happened was, is again, we probably had about 100 fans flying in from all over the country. And they were just so happy-go-lucky to sleep outside of his hospital room that weekend. Um, and if you look at the news back then, I mean, they were bringing in pictures of Shirley Temple, and they are bringing in pictures of Charlie Chaplin. And all of these fans from Germany, everybody were like, oh, this is just as good as seeing him in concert. And we're like, no, it's not. <laughs> um, we wanted to see him in concert. We had front row seats. We were going to see all of this. And so it kind of got a little too fancy, I guess, to where they were just overlooking certain things. I like the objectivity of a lot of what I see today to where it's like, hey, look, yes, he's the greatest entertainer ever. 
he's the greatest performer ever. Did he have some issues to deal with? Absolutely. Did he have some controversies today to deal with? Absolutely. Does it affect, you know, how much of a fan I am? Not at all. And just the objectivity of a lot of what I see today as far as the fans, and especially your podcast. Again, listening to the, uh, I think it's every year, the Vindication special and stuff like that. Just, you know, not pulling any punches. It's like, yeah, I mean, we love Michael Jackson. He's a great, you know, he's the greatest performer of all time. There'll never be anything like him. You know, for people like me who lived back in the early 80s, like at the height, the absolute height, I mean, I can't even like, you know, overstate the absolute height of his powers. Are we still fans? I mean, yeah, there's an emotional connection even to my youth. Are we afraid to say, hey, look, you know, maybe he made mistakes and he had some bad judgment and maybe he did some things wrong? Um, no, we're not afraid to say that. But I mean, I think that makes it more genuine. And I think that just helps his you know, legacy to you know, get stronger. That was so cool. Amazing. Thank you so much for that sure. answer. That was such a good answer. I think, you know, like you said, we are just fans. We don't pretend to be anything else because we're not. We're not experts. You know, if we need someone that knows something more about something, we will talk to that person because mm-hmm. we're not going to pretend to know stuff that we don't know. We're just fans like yourself and like the members of the the fan clubs back in back in that golden age sort of time. Yeah, I think it does add something when you look at Michael objectively, because he was a man, we're celebrating him now in this amazing discussion on his what would have been his 60th birthday. And Lord heaven knows that I feel that I just miss him so much and I really wish he was here to celebrate his 60th birthday. I'm sure we all feel that way because he was such a good man and he inspired all of us, you know, inspired you back then to communicate with all of these fans around the country and the world. And and now we're yeah. doing the same thing. And we, for me personally, I do that to give back to him because I, you know, he gave so much to all of us, didn't he? He really did. Oh, yeah. sure. And again, my, you know, I look at it now. I mean, I'm still, I've got those obsessions. I mean, the center of my life right now is my family and Jesus period, but I'm not afraid to go back and even now admit, that, hey, you know, this is somebody who had an effect on my life. I have just tons of good memories. I mean, sleeping out on the streets of New York City for tickets, you know, going to that airport hangar for the first time and seeing him come out on stage, uh, walking into his office and seeing his desk, seeing all the stuff in his office. I mean, it was just like crazy. Going back, I mean, I, I was there when the Motown 25 special first aired. I mean, I didn't see it on repeat. I watched it the first night. I'm sitting there. Remember, guys, I mean, there's like maybe 10 channels available back in 1983. <laughs> yep. I just happened to turn on the TV and this thing is on. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, move to Mount Motown. Yeah, you know, and they've got, the, you know, Little Richard and everybody else. Eh, you know, wouldn't it be kind of cool if they had the Jacksons? Eh, no way. They're not going to come out. And then all of a sudden they come out and then all of a sudden he does this stuff. And I'm telling you, you know, to be a high school student in 1983 in New York, to go into school next day and say, did you see that thing that he did um, where it looked like he was walking forwards, but he was really walking backwards? I mean, nobody even knew what to call it back then, but it just took everybody by storm. 
And people back then weren't afraid to wear a thriller jacket to school. <laughs> people are afraid that people back then weren't afraid to like wear high water pants with like white socks. And it was just part of the culture. And I'm just happy that I was like part of it and that like I was able to kind of, you know, really grab hold of it. Hold me like the river Jordan. And I will then say to thee, you are my friend. Carry me like you are my brother. Love me like a mother. Will you be there? Will you hold me? When wrong, will you scold me? When lost, will you find me? But they told me a man should be faithful and walk when not evil and fight till the end, but I'm only human. This is Diana Walzak, sculptor of the Michael Jackson history statue, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. Sean, um, we've got to ask you some of uh, what your favorite Michael Jackson things are. So I'm going to run through a bit of a list here, and I, and I can't wait to hear your answers. What is your favorite Michael Jackson song? Well, my favorite Michael Jackson song is still uh, Billie Jean, just for so many reasons. The Motown 25 hearing it on the radio for the first time, seeing the video for the first time. You have to remember that back in the early 80s, MTV had just kind of started taking off. The last time that I saw Michael Jackson like on TV, he had this big afro. He was wearing like a white jumpsuit. 
And then all of a sudden you see the Billie Jean video and he's got, and this was rare back then. I mean, he had this like Jerry curl hair that like nobody had seen before. And he's got this black leather tuxedo on. And then from there to see the Motown 25 and then to see him perform it live for the first time. And then of course, you know, geek that I am, this is the song that I used to perform you know, in lip sync contests when I was in high school. So that <laughs> that's still the favorite. My second favorite is probably from the Off the Wall album, because I still think to this day, it's probably the peak of his vocal. To, to listen to the song, I can't help it on the Off the Wall album. I just, I oh, think yeah. that's, the, the, I, I don't know if he ever sang a song better than he did that. Yeah, yeah, I probably would agree there. Okay, now, what is your favorite album? Well, my favorite album, of course, is Bad. And again, um, even though Thriller, of course, was just part of the culture, I was just so excited on that date in 1987 to run out and get the Bad album and pop it in and for the first time hear these songs. That just is still, you know, my favorite. And that night, like I said, they um, they had the world premiere of the Bad video, you know, the long form with... Uh, you know, the whole story and everything. And um, that was just, you know, that's probably still my favorite. Uh, the first time I heard Dirty Diana, um, I just thought that that was the greatest song I had ever heard. And I kept replaying it and replaying it. So again, you're going back to summer of 87. And, you know, something to just mention, which I haven't heard a lot of people mention, um, but I was listening to one of your podcasts. I think Charles Thompson was talking about how he had first come across Michael when he was a kid, you know, a friend of his had played a, uh, you know, a music video, a bunch of music videos for him. And I was like, wait a minute, this guy's a superhero. He's turning into a wolf. He's turning into a panther, turning into this. Well, my earliest memories of Michael are the earliest, are the early seventies when the Jackson five cartoon was on. That was the first time I had ever seen him. And in my mind, he was a cartoon character. Well, if you look at the early Jackson 5 cartoons on video, they would show kind of like a real life portrait of each one of the brothers. And then the brother would kind of morph into a cartoon character. Mm. And I just thought that, that just blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute, this guy is real. He's not just a cartoon character. He's also a real person. So that superhero effect went back even way before you know, uh, the whiz and thriller and everything else. Um, so even when I was a kid, he was already, I mean, of course, back then, you know, he didn't have as much say in it, but even back then it was like, wait a minute, I'm watching Scooby-Doo. I'm watching all these cartoons and wait a minute, this, this cartoon character is an actual person. My mother actually has a similar story. She, she tells me that her earliest memory of Michael Jackson is, is watching the Jackson five cartoons and, and them singing rock and Robin on that. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you know, it's funny. There was a song, there was a show in the States back then called Wonderama and it was a Saturday morning cartoon. And so maybe it's like mid 70s, 74, 75. And they say, Oh, the Jackson five are coming out. Well now bear in mind, they're all a little bit older. Right. And, um, so they come out and you're used to seeing Michael as like the little kid in the front. Well, now they're all the same size. And you're like, well, wait a minute, which one is Michael? And then you see him come out and they're interviewing like, wait a minute, that's not Michael. And so, you know, if you remember the Oprah interview, he's talking about how like the public wants to keep you long, young. Well, I was one of those. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I don't want him to grow up. I want him to stay that little kid. <laughs> wow. I've never heard anyone sort of say that. So that's really cool. Incredible yeah. insight. 
Yeah, it, it was fun. And like I said, I, you know, back in the 70s, I'm into all kinds of things. I'm into the Fonz and I'm into, you know, whatever. And then um, he kind of pops up again in, in The Wiz. And then when the Off the Wall album gets released in the late 70s, there was a big craze going on back then called roller disco. Um, everybody was going to roller rinks and they started playing uh, shake your body from the Jacksons. They were playing don't stop till you get enough. They were playing Rocky with you. And then my sister got the album for Christmas that year. And then that's when I kind of like started, you know, really becoming, you know, pretty big Michael fan. A couple of years went by. And then of course, when thriller came out, forget it. That was the end. Sean, we probably know the answer to this, given your amazing, amazing experiences you've talked about, but what is officially your favorite tour? Well, I mean, of course, the bad tour. I didn't, (laughs) oh my goodness, my family's going to go crazy when they hear this story. In 1984, (laughs) when um, the Victory Tour started, my aunt, my beloved aunt, waited online for tickets and got tickets for my brothers and sisters and I. Well, of course, I'm 17 years old at the time, and I can't drive after 9 o'clock. And my parents wouldn't let me go. So to this day, it's kind of like a family, um, just a, a, a just a good natured family joke that like I wasn't able to go see the Victory Tour because my mom wouldn't let me go. And I remember telling her back in like 1984, I'm like, well, you know what? The next time he goes on tour, I'm going to see him like a hundred times. So well, obviously I did, but I saw him four times. But that bad tour was just if you could just hear him and just see him. Um, the voice was perfect. He was at the height of his performance powers. He looked perfect. Every move was perfect. I kind of followed the tour that whole summer as he went through Europe and England. And they came back to the States in the fall. That's where I saw him again twice in New Jersey. Followed him all the way up until, I think, January of 89, where the tour finally ended. Just It was just perfection. You know, I mean, I know after that, and, and remember too, he had already told us that this was going to be the last tour. So we figured, well, this is going to be the last time we see him. So there was a little bit of disappointment when I heard he was going on the dangerous tour again, but I was like, all right, well, that's cool. He just couldn't stay away. I remember, I think it was 91, actually 92, where HBO aired the special of him performing in Bucharest. Of course, he still looked and sounded great. A couple of songs were lip-synced, but I kind of understood it at that point because it was you know, so much production value. But the bad tour was just, I mean, it, it was killer. I mean, everything on that, I mean, and again, just hearing how perfect his voice sounded and, I mean, the spins. I mean, I, to, to see him spin for the first time in real life was just amazing. I've got my last uh, favorite to ask you, your favorite, (laughs) if you can, and if you can't, maybe top three, but your favorite single performance. Well, number one is without a doubt the Motown 25, because again, I was there. I saw it live on TV. This is 1983, where VCRs were just starting to kind of become popular. Somebody I know actually was lucky enough to tape it, and that tape just started making the rounds, making the rounds. I mean, that summer of 1983, everybody was passing along this tape. Look at it, look at it, look at it. So that would be my number one live performance. Number two would be the the bad you know, on the uh, Grammys, 1988. Again, watching him come out, remembering how disappointed I was that night that he didn't win any awards, but also knowing how excited I was that I was going to go see him for the first time a couple days later. And then as far as live, I mean, those are the two like most favorite, like 
you know, real time life performances. I guess, again, if I'm going to go back to like a real memory, it was being in the 14th row stage left Hartford, Connecticut, 1988, watching that light board come up. The plans are going crazy. All of a sudden we start seeing the band members kind of coming out on stage and just in the midst of them, you see him pop out and the place just goes crazy and you realize how close you are to him. And then watching him just kind of set himself, make sure the other four guys are all set in position and then just standing there waiting for that light board to come down to where he's going to like start, you know, performing. Even though that's not a, you know, a, a television performance that just uh, sticks out in my mind. So we want to ask you a question you would have heard answered quite a few times. Sure. So, Sean, um, how should Michael be remembered? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Greatest, um, greatest entertainer of all time. Greatest performer of all time. I really don't know how else to put it beyond that. Again, despite the troubles that he experienced in life, despite you know the controversies and the bad press and everything else, and I think you're seeing it now because now it's like almost 10 years since he passed away. A lot of that stuff is starting to fizzle away a little bit. I think it was just like last week or the week before somebody, I can't remember who, caught somebody on video saying, oh, I don't like Michael Jackson. And it was this big controversy. It was like, how dare you say you don't like Michael Jackson? You know, it was a performer. And um, Sam, you know, Sam Smith, I think. Yes, yes, exactly. Sam Smith. And I mean – 10 years ago, I mean, that wouldn't have happened. So, I mean, here we are years later and just, you know, somebody just off the cuff says, I don't like Michael Jackson and they're getting like slammed online. <laughs> I just think that as far as an innovator, just remembering how exciting it was back to be a teenager in the early 80s, the effect, um, waking up early in the morning before school to kind of pop in that tape of the thriller video again before I go to school, um, listening to hearing Beat It, for the first time, you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was this whole disco sucks type of thing. And to hear him being played on like rock radio in 1983 was just, oh my gosh, I mean, everybody likes this guy. I mean, without a doubt, I, I just don't think that anybody's going, it doesn't matter. And I think the world has changed just with the way the internet is and everything else. I just don't know if there's ever going to be an entertainer that's going to have that effect again. I mean, there's going to be great entertainers. There's going to be famous people. There's going to be celebrities. But to be around between 83 and 89 and the effect that he had on culture, the effect that he had on just your conversations at school in the morning, the effect, I mean, we, you know, back in 83, 84, you know, friends of mine used to get together and again, they wouldn't even claim to be like rabid Michael Jackson fans, but it was just part of being, you know, at that time an American, you know, um, let's go over to somebody's house and watch MTV. Cause we know that at some point the thriller video is going to come on. I, I don't know if anybody's going to have that effect on popular culture again. And so even to this day, you know, when I listen to a song or I see a video, it just brings back so many really, really good memories. And thank goodness, you know, I guess time heals old wounds. I really don't have any bad memories anymore. Um, it's all good memories based upon what he's done, uh, his songs, um, you know, and again, just kind of remembering what it was like back in the 80s and, you know, walking into his office for the first time and collecting all of this stuff and how much fun I had, like writing to mm. people in Texas or Japan saying, hey, you know, I've got this great 
puppet cooler. <laughs> you know, what do you have? Oh, I've got the E.T. storybook still sealed, you know, or I've got the uh, Liberian girl, uh, you know, uh, mobile uh, still in the package. Or I just had so much fun collecting back in those days. It was just it was just a lot of fun. And um, I just don't know if anybody's going to really be able to experience something like that again, you know, um, as far as a breakthrough performer. And again, you know, I, I can't, it sounds like I'm speaking with hyperbole, but you know, if you go back to 1983, 84, I don't care who you were, what country you lived in, how old you were, what color you were, what your background was, everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean, everybody had the thriller album. So it just wasn't even, it was just a given, you know, you don't sell that many albums by just selling to a select group of fans. So when I remember those days, I just remember a lot of great memories, a lot of great memories of meeting my wife for the first time as a teenager, a lot of great memories of high school, a lot of great memories of being a dork on stage trying to perform like him, and uh, just a lot of happy memories. And I, th and I thank him for um, you know kind of providing me with a lot of that uh, those happy times. We were so lucky indeed. Incredible. Oh, Sean, thank you so much. This discussion has been just what I needed to celebrate <laughs> Michael's 60th birthday. Um, I'm so grateful for your time that you've given up from your family this evening. Thank you so much. The, the answers you've given, the insight, the perspective of being there has been just terrific. Like, Thank you so much. Have you got any social media that you use that you, that you use and can people can contact you on? Um, are you if you go to Facebook, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, it's funny on Facebook. I actually have a private group called the Magic World of Michael Jackson, 1989 to 1995. Oh, cool! Um, but I could make that kind of a public. Uh, public uh facebook there and again just just with some of the friends um there was five of us that ran the club um god bless her soul one of them passed away years ago um but the rest of us still kind of keep in touch um you know despite everything that's happened in our lives for the last 30 years um so i'll kind of talk to some of my uh my computer friends to find out how to make that a public a a, a public fan club Awesome. Well, we'll put a link for that when that happens into the show notes. Um, again, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, give, pass on our thanks to your friends that you're still in contact with from mm. the club. Uh, and thank you as well for all that you did for Michael and his fans back then. Um, hearing about the magic world of Michael Jackson fan club that you helped run between 1989 to 95 hearing about the MTV 10th anniversary performance recording has been terrific. We really appreciate your time tonight. Damon, do you want to l let people know anything about social media for us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, people can can find us on social media as well. You just need to search the MJ Cast. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, um, and you can email us as well at the at iCloud.com if you want to tell us your story or get in touch with us or anything like that. We'd love to hear from you definitely. Um, and of course, we're a podcast that you can subscribe to. The reason to do that is because you're going to get new shows delivered to your device every two weeks. Great interviews around Michael. Jackson, people that worked with him, um, regular news episodes where we're going to keep you up to date on all things Michael Jackson and, of course, our roundtable episodes 
where we dive deep into specific topics with a panel of guests. So thank you for listening to our show and we can't wait to interact with you online. Great. And if I can give you guys a plug, again, coming from somebody who ran a fan club, who's kind of seen tons and tons of fan clubs come and go, podcasts come and go. This is the real deal. I really enjoy it. I love your guests. Obviously, you have a lot of uh, good connections. Um, we have a and- lot of good luck. It's a yeah. lot of good luck. We haven't got no connections. We've just got good luck. <laughs> but I, I just have a lot of fun listening to the podcast. Um, again, you know, my original email was, you know, keep up the good work. Just keep it going. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, there's, you know, even though he's gone, hopefully there'll be some exciting things still coming in the uh, the magic world of Michael Jackson coming up over the next few years. I think there will be. I've got a feeling. I've really got to go, guys. I've got to pack yet, and I've got to get picked up. Me and my crew need to get picked up. We've got two flights to operate home. I miss home. I've been away most of this week. It's been crazy. But again, thank you, everyone. Elise, thank you for joining us from Studio San Diego. Thank you so much, Sean. This was so special. I was just really sitting here dreamily staring at my computer the whole time and thinking about your great stories. So thank you. It's such a special way to celebrate uh, Michael's birthday. Appreciate it. Happy birthday to Michael. And uh, thank you very much to everybody. Sean, thank you so much to you in studio New York and Jamin signing off in studio Brisbane. Are you? Absolutely. I hope everybody has a good fortnight ahead and keep Michaeling. Thank you so much. I'm glad your batteries lasted on your ear pods, Jamin. Get some backup wired ones. Go low tech for just a day. Yeah, those things. <laughs> now you've got some editing to do for this amazing show. Head to the show notes to check out some links of things that we've spoken about. Sean, thanks for celebrating Michael's birthday with us. I've got a flight to catch everyone. Stay tuned. We're going to come back with a news episode because lately there's been some great news, some big news, and a wrap-up of all the celebrations for Michael's birthday around the world. So stay tuned for that in our next news regular episode, which will be out in a few weeks, I imagine. Thank you, everyone. Go celebrate Michael for his birthday. He deserves it, and we all love him. Michael on.